This message was recorded at North 2012, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. Thank you. We have one hour, and um, you'll appreciate that that is um, quite a challenge to uh, tackle a subject like parenting, which means we just cannot possibly cover everything that we would love to cover, um, and also means that we won't sadly have time for Q&A, because simply we would uh, not serve you uh, well enough if we were to do that, because we have so much material we'd like to get through. So recognising we can't get through everything, we'd love to get through as much as possible. Is that okay? Wave your hand if that's okay with you. And just to say this, um, we may raise issues which will be good for you to go and talk to someone else about. And the other important thing, which is something that I am very passionate about and I don't quite understand, is why not more churches do not spend more time dealing with this issue of parenting on a regular basis. So at our local church at home, a number of years ago, we made the decision that every year we would do serious teaching on parenting for people who had been there the year before and the year before and the year before because they just simply need to hear these things over and over again as a reminder. And secondly, for people who are joining our churches, who are coming from other backgrounds, and also for people who are obviously getting married and then having children and, 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 and are part of us, not presuming that they know or understand the basic principles of parenting. So if nothing else this afternoon, I am giving you permission. In fact, I am exercising authority and saying to you, please will you ensure that your local church does parenting. Is that okay? You're looking at me quite... Because I don't understand why more churches don't do it, because it's a massive subject, it's very evangelistic, it's really helpful for people who have got children that your church community is able to give themselves to this. And I want this afternoon, Liz and I, together this afternoon, if nothing else, just raise the profile of parenting as a very, very important subject and for some of you, just to remind you this afternoon of things you probably already know, but you want to give yourself to. I'm going to start by, by speaking about the fact that I think that parenting is a wonderful privilege and a tremendous, tremendous positive thing. We entitled this seminar, Things Can Only Get Better, which presumes that it's not going very well at the moment. But the aim of it is to make you realize that absolutely everything to do with parenting is good and positive and wonderful. Fundamentally, our society views raising children as a negative problem. It's not good out there. People have got a very low view of the whole issue of being family and parenting our children. And sometimes I get into conversations with people that are so negative about their children and about the problems they're having as parents that I am tempted to ask the question, why on earth did you have any of them in the first place? Because if it's that negative, why did you get into it? Can I just say this, that parenting is hard work. 
parenting can be tiring. And parenting can rob you of your own individual space. That's why you are a parent. But all those things are positive and are not negative. And we've over the years, we've got four children, by the way. They've grown up and they've all got kids of their own now. We have one son and three daughters. And when they were little, there was only a few years apart from them. So we had four small children under the age of seven. And uh, when we used to say to people, so negative were they, even in those days, and they, we had four children, they would look at us as if we had a disease. You have four. And the whole tenor of even that kind of concept is we have a problem because we have children. The Bible only portrays raising children and being parenting as a wonderful thing, a great privilege. It is a great adventure. It is a wonderful opportunity. God is for families. And the only reference to children is this. They are a blessing from the Lord. And if you look at Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, they describe what children are as a blessing to you. And the next time you're sitting at the dinner table and your children are behaving yourself, you say to one another, Behold, our children are a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> there's, no, there's no concept of parenting in the Bible as negative. There's no concept in, in, in the scriptures of children being anything else but a gift from God that's been given to you and to me. And can I say this? There are loads of books out there on parenting, and some of them are good, and some of them are okay, and some of them are, just don't even bother to read them. But the issue is this, even if there would never been a book written on parenting, parenting is the most natural thing in the world. You don't have to be an expert, you don't have to be brilliant, you just have to be a parent. And actually, raising children is far more about raising parents than it is about raising children. Raising children is hard work, but it's even harder sometimes to get the right parents to do it. It's the kind of parents that you are that will depict what kind of children you have. And so a lot of this teaching we're giving this afternoon isn't really about your children, it's about you. Do you ever look at children and you, you, you see them misbehaving or something's going on in the restaurant and, or, and you start to despise the child? And then you suddenly realise, but this child is only a product of someone else. Ah, there are the parents. You can't despise the child. You have to ask the question, why have the parents allowed this sort of thing to happen? So we're raising good parents. All children are shaped by their parents. And many, many years ago, when I personally realized this, I recognized this, that I was either the solution or the problem. And therefore, as a father, I have to work really hard at being the best kind of father that God would want me to be and my, my children need. And that will make me a better parent. You and I are responsible for our children and raising them. Therefore, the kind of person that I am is really important. Your church isn't responsible for raising your kids. Your children's workers aren't. Your friends aren't. Other family members aren't. Your school isn't, your youth worker isn't when they go into teens. All the way through, you and I are the ones who are responsible for raising children. I've actually had the conversation with some parents who've had a number of kids who've said to me, I've realized I'm not a very good parent. 
I'm not good at this. It's not the way I was wired. And my answer to people like that, that say that, is this. Then get good. You're the only parent they have. And they need you to become better than you are. And you are the best for your child. Because God made you like that. Quickly. This is all by introduction about positive parenting. The environment in which children grow up is absolutely crucial. And it is about like a seed uh, that's planted in the soil. The quality of the soil is vital for that seed to grow up and become fruitful. Your children are like seeds, and the soil that we place your children into is absolutely key. So we need to make sure the soil is good and the environment is good. Because we need a healthy home and atmosphere for children to be brought up in. There may well be, there probably are a number of single parents here today. So I just want to say this, that as a single parent you have one of the most difficult tasks to raise your children. And I, my philosophy is this, as a single parent, we need to honour you, we need to help you, and if you're in a Christian community, then that community's responsibility is to come alongside single parents and really offer them all the help that we can give them. But if you are a single parent, you'll just excuse me for a moment if I say, and statistically we know this to be true, that the best environment to raise a child in is where there is a father and where there is a mother. That is simply the best. It's the, it, it's, it's the environment that's the best. So that means that marriage is crucial for the raising of our children. It has a direct result in the environment in which children are raised. Many children are raised in an environment where there is not a happy marriage. It has a direct result upon the way they're raised as children. If you're married here today, can I say to you, a big part of raising your children is your relationship, husbands and wives, and how you get on well with one another. So listen, I recognize that we've got to be good parents and provide good soil and a good environment for our children, have worked really hard and continue to work hard at our relationship with one another all the time. One day your children will leave you. Um, you're supposed to feel very sad about that. Can I just say, as those of us whose children have left us, it's a really happy day. I, I walked down the aisle with my three daughters to give them away to the fellow that's going to you know, marry them. And apparently, I didn't know this, I had this grin on my face all the way down. And people thought I was supposed to be very sad. And I'm, I'm happy because I feel I've done a fairly good job with my daughter. I'm happy because I'm happy with this guy that's now going to take them on. And I'm also smiling on the outside, on the inside, because I'm thinking, I've had this girl all these years, chum. If you really want them, then <laughs> you really are a fool. But there we go. Over to you. And there comes that moment when they leave. Now listen, when that happens, if you, I want you to know this now. When that happens, the relationship that you have with one another is key at that point as it is today. You must have a relationship outside of your children. You have to find time to really keep building. And many couples, they don't do that because their children dominate their lives and therefore you neglect one another. You become strangers to one another. 
so crucial that we, we recognize marriage is very, very important for the raising of our children. I'm just going through loads of headlines this afternoon to try and help you in that regard. <coughs> good soil means not only a good marriage, it means security. Insecurity often comes from neglect. Your children need to know that you have time, energy, that they are a genuine priority to you. This is very, very important soil. Your children will be raised in the environment, not where you're perfect parents, not where you don't make mistakes, because you're going to do that all the time. There's not a single parent here today that doesn't make a disaster of it sometime or other. But the issue is your children need to know nevertheless that they're in an environment where you really are providing them time and energy and priority. Several papers last year, some even put it on the front page, <coughs> responded to a, a major, major um, kind of survey of children in the UK. And it was to do with consumerism. And what was shocking about this report was the amount of children who said, I would rather have my parents' time and attention than the things that they give to me. The things are not as important as the love and time and energy and priority that I am given from them as people. They need your love, they need your attention, they need your willingness to enter into their world. I don't think they need things, I think they need you. All of which means, and I'm going to start treading on some dodgy ground, you always do this in this kind of seminar, is that that implies sacrifice. That implies that you have to make decisions to make them the priority. That implies, and this is very, very big today, particularly at preschool age children, that as parents we make decisions that do not rob our children of our time and attention but that we give them the priority that they need, and they need to know that. And there's so many families in our nation juggling all kinds of ways, and really it's not so much about time for the children, it's about time for themselves. And I personally think that's going to constantly challenge us. If you have children, you can't just carry on as if you didn't have children. Someone has to sacrifice somewhere for this to really become <coughs> the priority. And we all know we're surrounded in a culture today where... People are married and having children and are presuming that life will carry on and now there's all kinds of means and ways for that to continue. So the children, the very ones that are the most important, are often the ones that are neglected. If I do not have time, energy and attention presence for my children, then I think they will, they will definitely suffer. It's interesting that all statistics are now saying that children that arrive at school who have had priority time with their parents are completely different from those who do not. That's not a Christian point of view, it's just a, a secular comment. Two more things about, about environments. One is this, we need to plan an atmosphere. We need to plan to have an environment. We need to plan to build memories. We need to plan to make sure there's lots of fun because that's what our children really, really do take on board. And I want to say one more thing. It is really hard work. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I want to get that across to you today. It's really, really hard work to be a parent, particularly from naught to eights. Train a child in the way that he or she should go, and they won't depart from it, means to give yourself to the foundations that are built into their lives. 
It's time consuming. So the question is this, is it worth it? And the answer is 100%. 100%. Every time you think, oh, this is hard work, do I have to do this again? Yes, <coughs> because you are now building foundations which will last for a lifetime. That's it, positive parenting. I want to add one more thing. If you're a Christian today, <coughs> and you are a parent, then you have some wonderful advantages. All of these principles, just taking on with you there this morning, what Dave Devonish said about common grace, all of these things work for parents, whatever they are, whoever they are. But the issue is this. For us as Christians, we have to acknowledge we are especially privileged. And I want to just give you some, quickly, some indications as to why that is. Here I am, I'm a parent, but I'm a Christian, and I have some things, some tools that God has given me that are absolutely wonderful, that I wouldn't have had if I wasn't a Christian. One is this, the Word of God. As I raise my children, I do so, not on guessing or on secular philosophy, but based upon the Word of God and what it says. And the Word of God is a constant source of help to me in raising my children. Secondly, the Bible itself says this, we have wisdom from God. And so I think as Christians we have the advantage of the promise of wisdom. Do you lack wisdom, the Bible says, then ask God and he will give it to you. And I tell you, there's 101 times with your kids when you lack wisdom and you look to your husband and he doesn't seem to have much idea either. And so there is a promise of wisdom from God. Isn't that amazing? We've got God's word to guide us. We've got his wisdom, which leads on to another thing, which is common sense. And I, I honestly think a lot of parenting is to do with common sense. But when you're a Christian, you're particularly in a situation where that common sense can be alive and real and practical. Here's another thing you have when you're a Christian, and that is faith. Faith is important in the Christian life, to believe God for his promises. Uh, I think we have to raise our children with an element of faith. By faith, trusting God, trusting his promises, what he has said. Here's another thing we have as Christians, it's the power of prayer. It's not like prayer is the last resort, by the way. Everything else has failed. God, help me! But it is a constant calling upon our lives to just pray for our kids and pray for situations and, in, and build an environment of prayer. So our children are, ra are raised up in an environment where they know when God is involved and he answers prayers and there's great breakthrough. But as a parent, you and I have this added weapon of prayer, which is so important. Here's another thing, grace. How many of you know that you need grace to raise your children? Anybody want to put their hand up for that? It's, you know, if I was to have a bunch of teenagers here today and said, how many of you know you need grace to live with your parents? It would work the same way. <laughs> we need grace to raise our children. There are times when they exasperate us. Some of you are looking like you never, you have no idea what I'm talking about. What kind of a parent are you? Where you need grace and more grace and buckets of grace because raising children is such a challenge. Now, I said before, you know, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need grace. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to raise our children as well. Isn't that fantastic? You not just to raise your children on your own resources, but on the resources of the Holy Spirit as well to help you. Asking the question, you know, what, what is more difficult, raising the dead or raising children? I think it's kind of somewhere around the middle. Because, I mean, you need the power of the Spirit to raise the dead, that's obvious. Listen. Every time there's an appeal for more of the Spirit, here's a good reason to go forward. I'm a father. 
I'm a mother. That's all I need. I need the grace of God. I need the Spirit of God to really help me. Here's another thing as a Christian parent, the love of God. The Bible says it's shed abroad in our hearts. There are times when we run out of our love naturally, even for our children. That's when there's the promise of the agape love of God that never runs out, that can help you in that situation. Shall I just keep going? Here's another one. You're in a Christian community. What a tremendous environment that is to raise children. And there's nothing more wonderful than being in a church where you've got a whole load of other mums and dads the same age as you, and you can all raise your children together. Now, not everyone has that advantage, but you should believe God for that, that there's tremendous encouragement in the family of God together to raise your children. And here's another one, mentors. Listen, I always had had all through our lives the privilege of having people who were just a little bit further down the road than we have been and we've been able to watch them and go to them and ask them questions what a tremendous environment it is to be in the church i tell you what it's worth becoming a christian just for this lot because <laughs> it's just so i think parenting out in the world if i can just use that illustration for a moment is tough because you don't have any of these things we're now talking about we do. We're very, very privileged. I'm going to hand over to Liz. That's positive parenting from my perspective. Hi, everyone. Um, as David was saying, the challenges that we face as parents are just the same as the years go by. We've got four children, nine grandchildren, woo, and um, I'm having to learn to be a good grandmother and I was you know as a mum I was really full-on very involved desperate to raise godly children and obedient children and now I've got grandchildren I just want to indulge them <laughs> so I now have my children say to me mum don't say that You've got to face them with when they're not doing what they should be doing. Not say, oh, let's look over here and do something else. The very thing, mum, you raised us in, you're now being very naughty. So I'm under discipline from my children. But that's a joy of being a grandparent. Because you have fun with them and you give them back. <clears throat> I, I'm going to learn about being a grandparent and get better, I promise. I just really want to start by... Uh, as David was raising the bar on how amazing being parents are, how often it's like put somewhere down the list of priorities in our lives and really raise the bar on motherhood and being a mother. And um, you read Proverbs 31 about this amazing woman who is able to run businesses, raise children. Her husband thought she was fabulous. And you think, oh, my goodness, what planet is she on? Um, but it's a lovely bit there, in, I think it's in verse 28, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. And it's because she fears the Lord. And, you know, as women, we have this amazing privilege. We fear God first, and he's the one who gives us the ability to see the priority of being a mother. Um, I come from Christian family, and when I was 17, 18, I completely backslid and went for several years like a prodigal daughter, off to um, see the world and cause lots of trouble for my parents. 
And so I know what pain children can bring to their parents. But the amazing thing is, when you raise your children according to to Scripture and train them in the way that they should go, it's really annoying. They don't depart from it. They have to come back to it at some point because it's the promise of God over their lives and how they've raised them. So if any of you here got wayward children... Don't you give up because the foundations you've laid are there. They might be hidden, but they're there. And um, I'm a result of someone who's been there. And I think for us as mums to know we're handing over a legacy that will go on from generation to generation. As you know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he didn't just say, yeah, you're a great man of God. He reminded him. He said, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy. First dwelt in your grandmother, then your mother, and now dwells in you. What an amazing, terrifying responsibility we have as mothers to pour into our children godly uh, values and instruction to last them through their lives into adulthood. There's a verse in Joshua 24:14. It says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And to be told that by God, you know, that you are the one who has the authority over your child's life. You're actually, you're to discharge a duty given to you by God. Wow. (laughs) And I think mothers and fathers have that God-given authority, which has really helped me. And just to say, in culture today, this is actually how it is in society. Um, There's an article here, I'll just read a bit. Behaviour in schools is deteriorating as pushover parents, those who aren't in their authority, indulge their children, according to a psychologist. Many working parents attempt to ease their guilt by treating sons and daughters to new iPods or the latest trainers. Dr. Eric Sigmund, a government advisor and fellow of the Royal College of Medicine, He claimed that modern parents often chose to play the best friend card instead of imposing old-fashioned discipline. In the new book, Spoilt Generation, he says that canny children were increasingly taking advantage of the changing relationship. And you know, it's not old-fashioned way of bringing up children. It's biblical way of bringing up our children, that we're the ones in authority over their lives, and we're not to be afraid of that. We're to be confident in what God has entrusted to us and that we can raise them well. And for those of you who are maybe single parents, mums on your own, to, have, to say, yeah, God has put me in authority over my home. I'm going to, um, as I submit my life to Christ, he's going to give me the strength and the courage to raise my children. And I'm going to be the one in authority over their lives. And so what kind of a home are we building? Um, I thought it was interesting this morning, Dave Devonish was talking about how important homes are in scripture. How amazing it is. It's home is where community starts. Home is where um, the gospel is presented And for us, I think particularly as mothers, building a home is where the very heart of the gospel is presented. And how important it is that in our lives, we make sure that we're building um, a good home, a good nest, if you like, for healthy soil, a healthy environment for our children to grow up in. Proverbs 
um, 14 verse 1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. And I think for me, I've over the years had time and time again to come back to, am I giving a priority to building a secure home and environment for my children? Is it a place, not a home that's full of, you know, amazing uh, tidiness and <laughs> beautiful stuff, but actually a home that is full of peace and security and love and a place where children can grow up. And it's a place where I'm there. <laughs> I'm not absent, if you like, and or, or, you know, the father's not absent either. So how, what is it that we build in the home? Um, and I've just written down the things that I know as you build your home and as you give yourself time to it, this is the impact that, and what the training ground that your children get. The first place is home is where they get unconditional love. You're there. They're accepted. They're loved. They get forgiven. They get restored. All the places. It's the place where they can come and just let their hair down. I don't know about you, but it's always like after school, they come home and they're absolutely horrible to you. But it's because suddenly... They're back home in a safe place and they can just let it all out. And you're like the buffer for their emotional ups and downs. But um, it's an amazing place where they can just be themselves. And there's no pressure because they get so much peer pressure outside of the home, don't they? It's a place where they can be confident to speak and to have their views you know, heard. It's a place where they learn to live in community. Um, a place where they learn to share, where they learn to relate to other people. It's a place where they get taught life skills and discipleship and to take responsibility. I mean, through the years, however small the child is, right up until they leave, leave home, it's so important that we train them to serve and to care in the home. All these things are so important. Um, <laughs> I remember once being in India and watching these young adult children who um, were just immediately serving their parents, getting food, getting involved. And I said to the parents, how long have they been doing that? Did they start doing that when they left home? And they said, no, right from a very young age, we've taught them to serve in the home. So it's a natural thing. And then when they get into the life of the church, it's automatic. They want to serve, but it's because they've learned it at home. Um, hospitality um, is a big thing that we've done through the years in our home. It's not just a little place for just us. It's for a much wider community, a place where people are welcome. And they learn that through you. Everything, I'm just giving you a few examples, they learn through being in the home. Creativity, um, <laughs> learning to explore things and learning things through what you do together getting inventive in what you're doing in your home and then of course the gospel in the home which david has touched on that you you let them see your walk with god it's not just something that's on a sunday but it's right through the week and it's not just like having a five minute prayer time over a messy breakfast table though we did used to do that and often ended in chaos and fights and all sorts but it's a place where christianity's worked out it's worked out in the home. It's discussed. It's, it's an open subject. It's not just shut off in one corner of life. And then just to say, pray for your children. 
I know David mentioned it, and, and we're not perfect, but our Heavenly Father is. And the number of times I have come to God and really prayed and battled for my kids over difficulties that they've gone through. There's a great verse, actually, in Lamentations. <laughs> verse 2, verse 19, it says, Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. And the number of times I've come to God and really battled with him over issues in my children's lives because he wants to be very much involved. And just to say, the Holy Spirit, he is brilliant at sussing things when they're going wrong. I mean, the number of times I've said to one of my kids, "Um, you're lying. This is not true. And it's not just you know my intuition God's really shown me sometimes things and you pick them up and you need to be open to that for God to show you things my kids will think oh we can't hide anything from mum because if we try to even God will show her what's going on (laughs) not quite like that but you know what I mean Um, so I'll stop there Um, I want to just touch on fatherhood, if I can, just for a moment. Um, one of the things over the years that's exasperated me personally is running parenting courses where there are hardly any fathers. I'm glad to see there's an awful lot of you here today. One of the main reasons is because a lot of fathers presume that raising the children is the mother's responsibility. And uh, some of them have said to me, but she's much better at it than I am. And it's like I, I, in the end, don't want to do any more parenting seminars without the fathers there with the mothers to try and show them that they are absolutely key and crucial. And you don't need me to tell you that fatherhood is a huge issue in our society today because it's a fatherless generation being raised up where there may be fathers, but they may be absent. And even when they're there, they're not really there and they're not attentive. So I've just got three things to say to fathers today that I think are based in Scripture and important. The first is this that fathers are a reflection of what our Heavenly Father is like. One of the reasons families have been formed is it's God's way of showing children a reflection of their Heavenly Father. Now, no pressure on us, guys. (laughs) Am I a perfect father? Absolutely not. If my children were here today and you said, was your dad perfect? I can tell you what they're going to tell you as an answer. But that doesn't stop me from having the goal that I will attempt to represent what my heavenly father is like to my children as best as I can. Does that that okay? I think that's a great goal to have. And if I am therefore absent, I'm showing my children that their heavenly father is probably absent as well. If I'm overbearing, it's showing that my heavenly father may be overbearing as well. So the balance of getting this right is very important, that I have a responsibility to at least reflect to my children. So, my goal has always been, if there's been an appeal at a Christian meeting for children who didn't know, don't know what their Heavenly Father is like because their fathers didn't do a good job, I said, please don't let my kids be the ones going to the front of the meeting because I did try my best, honestly. And hallelujah, I think my kids, I hope and trust, have a balanced view of what their Heavenly Father... When you talk about your Heavenly Father they're at least going to think, well, my dad was kind of like this and my dad was like that and maybe that is a reflection of what my Heavenly Father really is all about. So I really want us to to not see perfection as the goal but to see 
that is what we really want to do. The second thing I want to say to fathers is this, that we must take the lead. And actually, there's lots of things I can say about this, but I just want to say one thing. One of the things we should take the lead as fathers in is instructing our families about the ways of God and his purposes. Jewish uh, communities are built on families, and the role of the Jewish family was that the parents particularly would spend a lot of time instructing their children on who God is, on his statutes, and the ways of God. I think in the Christian community, from my experience, this is hardly on the agenda anymore. We're just too busy. But I want to have situations where I am constantly talking to and instructing my children. This is what it says, listen to this, in Psalm 78. And it's not talking about your church or your society. It's talking about fathers and families. It talks about these statutes that have been given to us by our ancestors. Verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their generation, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would keep his commands. They would not be like our ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And I don't know about you, but I, when I read passages like that, what a tremendous privilege as me as a father, as the head of my home, to make sure I bring instruction to my children on the world in which we live, what God is like, what the church is like, what God's purposes are. It's my responsibility to tell them, and now I'm watching them sit with their children and tell their children, and their children will tell their children. It's just an important part to play. Is if there are any fathers here today, I want to really encourage you, get some time to really pass on the things of God to your kids. And the third thing I want to say to us as fathers, whoever we are and however busy we are, we must make time to spend with our children. Build time in. Plan it. Get out your diary. Make sure that you do it. Now, when we had four children, I kind of realized this is a bit of a logistical nightmare. And what I did was I, I promised and I said I will spend time with one of you on your own this week and then this week and then this week. So we knew there was going to come time when I would be with the kids. And I would even look at my diary and sneak and see if it was their Lucy time or their Daniel time with me and see their name written in, in, in you know, biro in my, because this is the old days, you realize, in my <laughs> diary. And they say, oh, good, Dad's got time with me. And I would invest time all the way through with my kids one, I'd have one-on-one -on -one time with them as a father. And when they got a little bit older, I'd say to them, you know, like, what would you like to do? Uh, it can't be too expensive, but what would you like to do? <laughs> and with Daniel and I, my, my only son, it was kind of a, you know, we are both massive into sports, so there was loads, 101 things we'd do. With my daughters, I can't, sometimes they just wanted to go for a walk. Sometimes they want to go to the cinema. Uh, my eldest daughter, Emily, always wanted to go out to a restaurant. And... Um, one day, one day she said to, I think she was 14, she said to, her friend said to her at school, what are you doing to tonight? And she said, I'm going out 
with my dad and he's taking me out for a meal. And their reaction is really interesting, was of horror. And they said, oh, that's horrible. I said, what do you mean that's horrible? Because she's naively thinking it's the most wonderful thing. And they said, well, I wouldn't know what to say to my dad. I wouldn't know what we'd do in, the, in that evening. And for Emily, it was like this was a highlight of her week that she was going out with her dad. And we were just having time together. She was an interesting person, Emily, because um, I, I always had the policy when I was with my kids to ask them questions. And you get through about two with Emily. The first was, how do you think we're doing as father and daughter? And how are you doing? And because she talks, I didn't say anything for the next two hours. <laughs> It was just a great way to spend an evening listening. <laughs> Time investment in our children is crucial. As fathers, we need to make more time to do it. And Rob Parsons, who wrote a book called The 60-Minute Father, famously said this, how many fathers on their deathbeds have ever been heard to say, I wish I'd spent more time at the office? I mean, it's a very, very powerful statement. And how many people, Billy Graham was asked, if you could live your life all over again, would you make any changes? He said, I would make two major changes. What are they? He said, number one, I would go to less meetings. And number two, I would have spent more time with my family and prioritise. So we need to hear these great men of God and hear what they're saying because it's important for us as well. I want to go on to talk about, this is not just for fathers, but fathers and mothers, so we're back to parenting. Um, discipline, there's a surprise. And I just want to make some headline statements about the whole issue of discipline. First is this, it's non-negotiable. And the reason that discipline is non-negotiable, non-optional, is because you love your children. The only context for discipline is love. There is no other basis for it. There's no other reason for it. And again, in society today, you get the impression, don't you, that when you talk about discipline, there's a kind of negative kind of thing around it. I just wanted, if I had the chance to speak to the nation, <laughs> uh, I would just say, guys, you've got it all wrong. You think discipline is something that's negative. Actually, it's wonderful. And the reason we do it is because we're raising our children in a loving, loving environment. If you have a temper problem, for example, then you need to sort that out because you never ever discipline children out of temper. You do it out of love. You do it because it's the best thing for them at all. And it's just for us this afternoon to realize that however you decide to discipline your child, you have to believe in discipline as part of the package to raising your children to be the kind of people that God wants them to be. I am just going to, we don't often do this, but I am just going to quote this scripture uh, uh, on how God deals with us. I think the basis of how we discipline our children reflects directly on the basis of how God deals with us. That's how we deal with our children. This is what it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Um, verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not, you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. And we have to reflect, folks, that God loves me and you so much, he disciplines us. Thank God he disciplines us. 
Where would we be if he didn't discipline us? So when we raise the subject of discipline and the atmosphere in the tent changes because I mentioned the D word, you just have to back up from this and say, hang on a minute, this is life. This is part of all of our experience. Moreover, the writer goes on to say, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. I don't know if that's true anymore. I hope it is. <clears throat> How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, folks, I have no other concept of discipline other than a wonderful, positive, loving uh, aspect to the whole thing. We discipline because of love. And when there is no discipline, can I just say this? It means you do not love your children in the way that you should. And again, this isn't a Christian. This is to be told to the world. This is to be told to society. I have the privilege of building a relationship at the moment with a local MP. Uh, and uh, uh, he's a bit kind of like uh, intrigued by us as a Christian community. And one of the things he knows we stand for is the parenting of children. So he and I have got into a debate about this. He follows me on Twitter, by the way. I just thought I'd throw that one out. So he already knows about this weekend. He hasn't got a clue what this is all about, but he knows I'm here. And, and, and I want to try and become more and more of an influence on this issue because I'm not afraid of it because I think society today is proving to us that a lack of discipline ends up in problems. It's so important that this isn't by the Christian community, oh dear, we're kind of a bit funny about discipline. No, it's part and parcel of life. It's the way God deals with us. It's life itself. And we will neglect our children if we don't discipline them. Children need discipline. This verse even says, they will respect you for it. A lack of discipline leaves children wayward. They don't know where they are. They don't know where they stand. They don't know where the boundaries are. They'll never know what's right and wrong. And the object of our discipline, listen to this, is not perfection. It is obedience. Sometimes people think, well, I'm, you know, I tried discipline. didn't work. Why? Because my child's not, not perfect. Well, they're never going to be perfect. But the issue is we're not after perfection. We're after obedience. And discipline doesn't crush children. It lets them know where they are. Without it, they will be confused. And when it comes to discipline, husbands and wives, you need to agree together. You need to talk together. And you need to keep on talking to one another. And you need to agree together. This is the way we are going to raise and discipline our children. And once you've made that decision, please, 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 be consistent in the way that you discipline your children. And be consistent in the way you do it for all of your children. Now, your children are probably, if they're like mine, very different from one another. Some children need a greater application of discipline than others, depending on their temperament and all the rest of it. But we don't have different ways of dealing with our children. We have the same way, but it might be applied in a different measure because of their temperament. 
children must know the ground rules and you must agree together on what you are going to do. And if they get the slightest inkling that dad is softer than mum or that mum has a different view than dad, they will discern this. They were born with an antennae that will discern it and they will weave their way in and they will separate mother and father and they'll choose which one they want to go to depending on how they discipline their children. No, 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 no. We've got to get a situation where we are, we are there's nothing between us. We're together in this. And if you get mum, you get mum. And if you get dad, you get dad. And there's no difference. When it comes to discipline, I just want to say this afternoon, as Christians, and this is a serious thing, we need to go to Scripture and we need to find out what we believe the Bible says to us about how we should discipline our children. And then we need to have faith in what God's Word says, that it's truth that will set free. You can't say to anyone in the future, the reason I discipline my children the way I do is because my elders told me to can't do that. You have a responsibility as a parent to have faith and to know what the Word of God says. One of my daughters was talking to uh, Liz the other day, actually, we were chatting to them about this seminar coming up, and she said to Liz, you know, more and more of my contemporaries, Christians, I feel are more and more shaped by the culture in which we live. We don't know what the Bible actually says. Can I just say something about the Bible? It is cross-cultural it is cross-generational. It just didn't work in the first century or hundreds of years before Christ. It works today. And it works in every situation. Liz mentioned India. I remember once I was in India. I was, actually, Liz wasn't there. I was just there on my own. And they said to me, please, would you do a parenting uh, evening for us, for all our churches in Mumbai? And I said, I don't think so. This would be a, an absolute you know, cultural nightmare. And they, they absolutely kept at me, kept at me. And he said, oh, reluctantly, I said, okay, I'll do one. So they phoned around everybody, and they, hundreds of people turned up in the evening. And there I was with all these Indians all kind of looking at me, and me standing there trying to do a parenting thing. And you know what? As I began to speak, it suddenly dawned on me, I don't have an English way of raising kids. I have a biblical way of raising kids. And what works in my culture, because it's biblical, will work in your culture, and the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, because it's built in the Word of God. You and I need to be confident in the Word of God. And I tell you, we're living in days, more and more and more, where society is not going to agree with the way that you raise your children, particularly in the area of discipline. Are they doing all right then? See, this is a huge issue for me. Are they do no, have they got a better idea? I don't think so. And this is where parenting is so brilliant because we're modeling. We're here to model to the world how to raise our children. It's a huge evangelistic opportunity. It's massive. Because most of my non-Christian friends, if they're honest, will say, we don't know what to do. We haven't got a clue. Please, can you tell us how we should raise our children? Finally, on this issue of discipline, what needs discipline? First of all, obvious rebellion. What do I mean by that? Well, if you've said clearly we are not allowed to do this and your child deliberately and absolutely does it, 
than there have been in open rebellion. Do not hit your daughter, your sister over the head with a mallet is actually something that's declared. If child picks up mallet and hits sister overhead with it, discipline is about to be applied. <laughs> Secondary of discipline is attitudes. And what you find with children is there are the very obvious, you know, no-go no areas, which you've told about, but then there's the attitude problem. And as they grow up, kids have more and more, they're clever. They don't do obvious things. They work it out, but then they kind of whine, and they kind of moan, and they argue back, and they have attitudes that begin to grow. And I didn't realize when I had first kids that they were going to do this. But as we were raising our kids, we realized they do this more and more. I thought, hang on a minute. <coughs> That needs discipline too. Because if this is a whining three-year-old, I don't want them at 13 to be continually whining. I have to deal with some issues in them now that will save them for when they get older. It's very, very important we watch for attitudes and apply discipline to those as well. And then the third thing is your own home ground rules. You may have a rule, for example, <coughs> that's different from someone else's house rule. And you have to understand, in this house, this is what we do. I don't care if in their house. So when your kids get older, they say, but no, so-and-so, here's the whining bit, so-and-so, their, their mum and dad says, I don't care about their mum and dad. This is what we do in this house. And if those, if, if those kids in that house want to do all of that, but in this, and you need to keep clear with your children, but this is what mum and I have decided. But it's not, this is what mama, but it's no one else. I remember when one of my 14-year-old daughters said to me, she said that they're going to some party. It was a kind of like a, you know, quite a low-key kind of party. And I said, we'll come pick you up at 10 o'clock. No one else is going to pick their kids up at 10 o'clock. And so-and-so's allowed to stay till 11.30. And so-and-so's about 12. I said, I don't care. This is our decision. We're going to pick you up at 10.30. And it's going to be fine. Okay. But no one else in the whole world is picked up at 10.30. I don't care about the whole world. This is you and me now having a conversation. So the next time you make a decision to pick your child up at 10.30 from a party, and no one else, I said, no, Dave and Liz Holden, they also said at 10.30. But it's not true, not the only one in the world. Final thing I want to say is you're going for first-time response. To be honest with you, Liz and I have never, ever disciplined our kids with, we'll count to three. Because I think you're just, you're prolonging the agony of the problem. We have never, I was always, as a kid by my parents, sent to my bedroom. I never quite understood what, maybe the door's locked and I can't get out, I don't know. But when I did that, the, the issue, whatever it was, and we could never remember after a while what it was, wasn't dealt with, it wasn't put behind us. And I, in my bedroom, when I was sent there, learnt new swear words and learnt to throw things against the wall. And it was all very strange. When we had kids and we raised them, I, I just said to Liz, we want a way of discipline, which is that we get first response out of our children. We don't want to have endless threats and warnings and changing the subject, which undermines our authority. And here's the deal, folks. It reflects how God deals with us. God doesn't send us to the bedroom.